Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 830 on Wednesday, March 24th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, as vaccination numbers continue to climb, we look at the role the VA is playing in distribution. Then, with the legislative session winding down, we examine the Medicaid landscape with the insurance commissioner. Plus, what the latest State of the State poll reveals about Mississippians' attitude toward the coronavirus vaccine. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Veterans in Mississippi are showing up at the GV Sunny Montgomery Veterans Medical Center in Jackson to get the coronavirus vaccine. The hospital receives vaccine supplies through a federal vaccination partnership. And this week, veterans don't need an appointment to get the shot. Dr. Susan Roberts is chief of staff, and she shares more with our Kobe Vance. Well, we promote vaccine for everyone, of course, and having the VA um be early in the vaccine distribution um, has just made it more accessible to patients. And so we want uh, to give the right care at the right time. And so having plenty of vaccine has allowed us to um, meet our demand for vaccine. So any employees who determined that they wanted the vaccine, they have all received it. Any patients who want the vaccine, they have all received it or have the opportunity to schedule an appointment. We did Um, open up our vaccination process recently, aligning with the state effort to open to all adults. So the state opened up to all adults this week, and so did we. So we're um, seeing a little bit of a decline in the demand because now the access in the state is also very good. Uh, But we'll keep our vaccination clinic going as long as there's a need to have one. So we plan on having that for as long as we need it. Uh, do you think it's just a trust in the VA system itself, or uh, what do you think is uh, drawing people, uh, drawing veterans here specifically as opposed to possibly a place that might be local? Well, we've been working very hard on our trust scores, and the, it, they can never be good enough, right? We always want to build those. And so as a member of the executive leadership team, I feel that um, that is a result of us 
um, making the efforts to build the trusting relationship that we have with our veterans and their trust in our care. Officials at GV Sunny Montgomery say 28% of Mississippi veterans have gotten at least one dose of the vaccine, surpassing the 22% vaccination rate among the state's general population. Veterans like Thomas Richards, a Marine from Hesterville, are willing to travel over an hour because of the trust he has developed with the VA. He recently received his second shot. I, I would drive 100 miles to get to get this shot. You know, I drove 80 miles, so, you know, it's... To me, it's worth the trip down to get the shot. And, um, you know, coming here to this location, do you, do you trust the VA more than, like, another place? Or I, I trust the VA 100%. I've been using the VA for, my God, 30, 40 years. So, you know, I trust them 100%. I, they do all my care. Um, and so, you know, just lastly, you uh, as we look into the next few months or maybe even the next year, you know, are you are you looking forward to getting more back to a normal life now that you are vaccinated? Well, yes, I am. I want to get rid of this, the mask, but I don't have a problem wearing it. I know I have to wear it for a while longer, and I wear it. I ain't got a problem wearing it. I don't like wearing it because I, I have CPOD, and it's hard for me to breathe it on, but I understand the reason why I wear it. It protects me. It don't really protect you. It protects me. So I'm going to wear it till, till it gets, I feel comfortable not, not having to wear it. Coming up with the legislative session winding down, we examine the Medicaid landscape with the insurance commissioner. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. The federal pandemic relief bill contains a big incentive for states that haven't expanded Medicaid. Mississippi is one of 12 states holding out on the expansion. State Insurance Commissioner Mike Cheney says currently the federal government pays about 80 cents on the dollar for Medicaid coverage. If Mississippi were to expand, that amount would increase to 95 cents. Cheney says Medicaid expansion could provide health care coverage options for those who don't currently qualify under the Affordable Care Act. At the present time, um, many states that have not expanded Medicaid have an 80-20 match. That's an approximate match. And Mississippi falls into that category. So in other words, the federal government puts up 80 cents of every dollar that we spend on Medicaid, and the state government puts up 20 cents of every dollar we pay. If you go with expansion, the state would put up 5 cents for every dollar, that the federal government gives us. So the feds would give us 95 cents and would put up five cents. So it's a pretty good program if you expand Medicaid. The danger is that many people feel like that with all of the uh, pandemic expenditures, the CARES Act expenditures, and all the other issues that have come up requiring unexpected expenditures by the federal government, there will not be enough money left to sustain an expansion of Medicaid for more than another 24 months. And if Mississippi does not expand Medicaid, 
this year, then it's very likely that we will not expand it in the next year either. How long would the government pay 95% of the Medicaid tab? They have guaranteed at least 24 months of payment at 95%. And then does it go, uh, does that go down every year after that by a certain amount, or, or is that not set in stone? It's not set in stone as to what the expansion dollars would be after 24 months, but I feel like it would probably be closer to uh, somewhere between 90 and 95%. The present match is close to uh, 92 for those states that did expand Medicaid, so I don't think it would drop below that. But the, the, the deal is that if Mississippi's already paying, getting only 80 cents and paying 20 cents on the dollar, and we only had to pay $0.08 cents on the dollar, it would be a better deal if you looked at expansion. And and one thing I want to say, Karen, Medicaid expansion is not about putting people on the welfare rolls. This is about expanding health care availability to those people that make 138% of poverty level or less. And that's about three hundred to 400,000 people in this state. They're the poor, the AIDS, the infants the disabled, the the folks that fall through the cracks that are not able to get on the Affordable Care Act and not able to uh, qualify for Medicaid as it exists now within the state. Explain that. Explain how – I don't know that 138 percent of the poverty level means much to our listeners. How do they fall through the cracks? How Because they're not able to get on the – as you said, to get on the insurance exchange, and they also don't qualify for Medicaid. But these are working adults or – as you said, disabled or aged, aged or, you know, infants. So give us a picture of who these people are and why they don't qualify. Well, the, the people that fall through the cracks are the ones that by law, when the Affordable Care Act was passed, it's called the Patient Protection Affordable Care Act. The law specifically said people that are at 100% of the poverty level in the United States cannot buy an insurance policy on the Affordable Care Act platform, better known as the federal marketplace. And they have to either not have any insurance at all or you cover them by expanding Medicaid. Of course, at that time, many states chose not to expand Medicaid. And at the beginning of January of 2021, which is now eight years after the fact, almost nine years after the fact, when Medicaid was first put up for expansion, uh, we have 14 states that have not expanded, and today, in March of 2021, we now have 12 states that haven't expanded Medicaid. So to make it real simple, uh, if you have uh, one person, the federal poverty level for 2021 is $12,880. If you have a young mother who's pregnant or has a child, and a pregnant female qualifies as two people, it would be 17400 $20 a year as a property level. These people cannot buy insurance on the Affordable Care Act. And if you know the income, they certainly cannot expand private insurance because they can't afford it. Isn't a pretty large percentage of Mississippians who who get insurance through the Affordable Care Act, isn't their insurance subsidized to some extent by the federal government? Uh, at least now, let, let, let me just say, try to say this real succinctly. From 100% of the poverty level to 400% of the poverty level, there is a tax credit that goes to anyone that purchases insurance on the Affordable Care Act of the federal marketplace. 
in Mississippi, 85% of the people that are on the Affordable Care Act plans, and that's one of two plans, Molina or Magnolia, get a subsidy from the federal government in the form of a tax credit. That would continue under the proposed plans for the present administration to expand Medicaid. Those tax benefits will also increase, and that's another concern to the leadership in the, in the states that have not expanded Medicaid because they worry there will not be enough money left to expand Medicaid or pay for it. Now, you're saying somebody who makes $16,000 a year makes too much money to be uh, to be able to get insurance through the Affordable Care Act or well, it, enroll it, in it, Medicaid? Karen, it's a little more than sixteen. It's around $17,400 is the new number, and they... They make, uh, they're too poor, too poor to get on the Affordable Care Act. If you make less than 138% of property level, and 138% is uh, about $20,000 a year for a family of two, you you cannot buy on the Affordable Care Act. You just can't do it. It's, It's against the law. Now, there's a way around that if you can get something called a 1332 waiver out of the federal government. And many states have done that. So Mississippi developed a plan back when the Affordable Care Act was first proposed to take the Medicaid dollars and purchase private insurance and give that to folks. And that would include anybody below 400% of property level could buy an insurance program that was privately funded and have better benefits than what you get on the Affordable Care Act. But we were turned down. You had to have the governor's signature to do that. And the governor at that time said they did not trust the federal government to continue to, to continue funding the programs, which that has proven to be wrong. They did continue to fund them. And we did not follow the plan, but we gave, since we'd used federal money to look at that plan, we gave the plan back to the various states that wanted to use it. It was Idaho, New Mexico, Arkansas, Indiana, and Indiana expanded using basically the Mississippi plan, and Arkansas did too with some bifurcations involved in it. And I'm familiar with that because I, I went to met with several of the Arkansas folks to explain our plan to them, and they changed it a good bit in the Senate. And that's the plan they use in Arkansas, same plan they use in Indiana. The Mississippi Hospital Association has a way to pay for Medicaid, to pay for Medicaid expansion. So in essence, it wouldn't cost the state anything with their plan. Well, now, the Hospital Association had, had a fairly decent plan. There were some fallacies in that plan, and I pointed out to them, and they don't agree with what I'm saying, but I'm a regulator, so you've got to remember, I don't set public policy. I'm not supposed to in my official capacity. I may have a public opinion about it as, as an individual, but the hospital association's plan depended upon hospitals putting up a percent of the match that was required under the federal government guidelines, and that match would be $20 per month from the hospitals or a tax on the hospitals. I think the best way to do this is the state bellies up to the bar, puts $50 million up. That's a $950 million expansion. And uh, know that the most you would ever pay would be $100 million on the expansion because the government does say that you will always get 90% of the costs on expansion. If you Google Medicaid expansion, you will find that 14 states initially that refuse to adopt Medicaid expansion know that the federal government will always pay 90% of the cost. They have guaranteed that. So the hospital plans 
fallacy was you had to have another tax to make the plan work. And a lot of legislators and um, the people in leadership roles in the, in the various states, including Mississippi, decided they didn't want another tax on hospitals. What we have proposed is a plan that would expand, I wouldn't call it expansion of Medicaid, but a different bifurcated product about commercial insurance plan and to make the networks use the rural hospitals in our state, which already have positions there, and it would uh, maintain the rural hospitals and keep them whole without having to put more money into the rural hospital system, and it would allow people access to health care throughout the Delta and other parts of the state that are considered rural. Hospitals, especially rural hospitals, as it stands now, have to foot the bill for those who don't don't have medical insurance. Uh, is that right, and is that causing undue stress on those hospitals? Well, Karen, I think you are right about that, that, that if uh, people do not have insurance, they still have to, under our laws in Mississippi, you can go to the hospital and they cannot refuse to serve you. If you go to the emergency room, they got to see you. And actually, we spend more at the emergency rooms trying to take care of the uninsured than we would spend if we uh, had a different plan. And that plan would be something like a, a policy for uh, those under 138% of the property level. I want to ask you one final question, and that's about insurance company. I know we have two or three companies that are vendors of Medicaid in Mississippi. What if the state were to expand Medicaid, would that bring other insurers in or would the companies we have currently be able to handle that expansion? I think the companies that we have now could handle the expansion, but it would bring other folks to the table to try to expand um, healthcare insurance within the state. And it's no secret that I, um, at the department, I have met with at least five companies looking to expand healthcare within the state. But that's a long process. It takes 24 months to get someone ready to expand health care within the state of Mississippi. It's just not something you can do within a month or two. And that that's tough. Now, I will say that the Kaiser Family Foundation, if you want to, someone wants to Google this and say we want to do a fact check on what the commissioner is talking about, can go and look at Kaiser Family Foundation. They have predicted that Mississippi would have lost $24 billion. That's billion. That's over almost five times what our annual budget is for the state in benefits by not expanding Medicaid by the year 2024. Well, and on that, Mike Cheney is Mississippi's insurance commissioner. Commissioner Cheney, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Karen. Coming up, what the latest State of the State poll reveals about Mississippians' attitude toward the coronavirus vaccine. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. 
Mississippians' confidence in the coronavirus vaccine is growing since the beginning of the year. That's according to the latest State of the State survey from Millsaps College and Chisholm Strategies. Nathan Schrader, professor of government and politics at Millsaps, says fewer voters are indicating they would reject the shot outright, a trend he attributes to a number of factors. Back in January, when we pulled this at the beginning of the year, the new year, we had 50% of Mississippi voters saying that there's a, they may outright refuse the vaccination when, when, their t- when the time comes to get it. Fast forward to now, here we are in mid-March, that, that share is down to 20%. And there's still 5% out there who say they're not quite sure yet if they're going to get it or not. But we're down to about 20% of the Mississippi electorate. Remember, we're, we're, we polled elect, uh, voters, reg- registered voters in Mississippi, and only 20% now saying that they either definitely will not or probably will not accept the vaccination when it becomes available to them. So that is a that is a considerable shift in a very short period of time. Do you think it's because or is there, is there any anecdotal evidence from the survey that would suggest as people's friends and family get vaccines, they're more comfortable mm-hmm. with the idea of doing it themselves? Yeah, I believe that's part of it. And, and, and so I think there's a couple of things at play here. First of all, uh, it's becoming more familiar to people. They're seeing that their friends and family and neighbors or coworkers, as you mentioned, that they could be get, they're getting the vaccine and they're not having these, these adverse side effects, that, that it's not some sort of uh, a government conspiracy or something to, to get a, a vaccine in your arm. And the other thing, though, that I would chalk this up to is a sea change in the message coming from the federal government, uh, which uh, since the beginning of the, again, the beginning of the new year, we were still in the Trump presidency. Now we're in the Biden presidency and the messaging coming from the white house every day, specifically through social media, through traditional media and from the president himself has been a, a, a sea change from what the messaging was under the previous administration. And so I think that's having an effect, but uh, Karen, really a fascinating p- p- data point here. We, um, we've we noticed, so there, there's still some areas, though, where there's a, a few demographic groups that we looked at in the in the survey data who are still lower than average uh, at saying that they're likely to get vaccinated. So I'm hoping that some of this data might be able to help the Mississippi Department of Health and other public health experts figure out a way to maybe target or mic what we call in politics, like micro-targeting certain demographics who need the most accurate information possible, right? And here's what we found. Mississippi voters who are aged 35 to 44, those who are 45 to 54, those who are re- are identifying themselves as Republicans and uh, white voters. Now, the majority of those folks are still saying, in all those those four groups that I just mentioned, the majority of them are still saying, Yes, we are. We are going to probably or definitely get vaccinated. It's just that that those rates run lower than the state than the average of the state. So I'm fascinated by that to see if you know. Hopefully, this survey data may may provide an insight that the public health officials could use um, as they as they ramp up the the vaccination program in Mississippi, which is now open to anybody who 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 wants to get vaccinated. Political science professor Nathan Schrader at Millsaps College. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. 
Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.